Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 27th of April, and the year is 2021. Now, we've been talking about the RAG recombinase and its role in epigenomic formation in the central nervous system as well as in the lymphocytic lineages, both B-cell and T-cell lineages, where they are canonically uh, examined. Now, what I wanted to do today is go into more depth about this RAG recombinase, because we're not quite finished with it. And uh, so I'm going to get started with it immediately. Since the discovery of that whole VDH recombination, both in T-cell receptor and in uh, immunoglobulins. The similarities between this process and that of transposition via transposases uh, have become more and more clear. So the RSSs, this is where recombination um, takes place, resemble actually at the nucleotide level, the terminal inverted repeats of the TIRs that target DNA binding and cleavage by a transposase. And the Nick hairpin DNA cleavage reaction mediated by RAG actually bears a very deep mechanistic similarity to what we see in several families of transposases. Now the compact structure of the RAG locus with RAG1 and RAG2 being essentially found adjacent to one another and convergently transcribed in all jawed vertebrate genomes with a small intergenic distance that is typically less than 10 kb. Furthermore, many species, including rodents and all the way up through primates and humans, each rag open reading frame is contained in a single large exon, which means if it arrived from transposition, it happened once, and then it has been preserved, presumably because it provides some kind of advantage to being a recombinase uh, where it was transposed into. Now, think about the complexity of the acquired immune response and the fact that we wouldn't have one if we didn't have these recombinases. And the idea that this transposition was so um, rare and yet uh, acquired such a, uh, a unique form of immunity in uh, jawed vertebrates is rather remarkable. So we might need to be looking more for other kinds of patterns in the um, occurrence of the RAG recombinase, including such things, of course, as convergent evolution. So I'm sure that the evolutionary um, molecular biologists are looking at this, although I haven't taken a look at the literature in a while, but I need to go back and uh, uh, take a look at that. Now, <clears throat> let's continue with our discussion of the RAG uh, that we do know. The similarities along, the, along with RAG-mediated transposition provide support for transposon split receptor gene hypothesis for the origin of the VDJ recombination. Now, 
let me let me delve into this and explain it to you. The transposable element, known as the TE, containing RAG1-like and RAG2-like genes, and flanked by these TIRs that resembled RSSs, and we can now call this a RAG transposon, may have given rise to the gene segments of the antigen receptor loci, and ultimately to RAG1 and RAG2. So the idea is that the pivotal evolutionary event is proposed to have been the insertion of the entire RAG transposon into an exon of a cell surface receptor chain, uh, thereby interrupting that exon with the TIR flanked fragment and marking the two portions of the exon ultimately because of the, the junction there for reassembly after uh, gene recombination. Now, expression of the RAG1, RAG2 transposase genes from another site in the genome perhaps a distinct integration site for the RAG transposon uh, unique to the initial insertion, would it provide the necessary enzyme to work in trans to bind to the TIR and generate the double-stranded breaks needed to recreate the functional receptor gene? Now, no additional RAG transposition and integration event would have been necessary with this theory for, because it would provide for the generation of the known antigen receptor loci, making this obviously an attractive uh, hypothesis. And it could account for the key building blocks of the system from a single transpositional event origin. Now, this is speculation, okay? But they do a lot of speculation in molecular evolution. Now, let me talk to you about a paper published in the Journal of Experimental Medicine and 2012, and maybe we can get a better handle on this. The precise regulation of recombination activating gene, the RAG expression, is of course going to be very crucial to prevent genomic instability, which would be caused by the generation of RAG-mediated DNA breaks. So using a complementary DNA library screen, uh, these researchers identified the transcriptional repressor GFL1B, which is, which is, as it turns out, is a negative regulator of the RAG locus, which would be essential because, again, I mentioned this many times, you do not want a consistently expressed RAG uh, gene. So the expression of this potential transcriptional repressor called, again, GFL1B, causes repression of RAG1 and RAG2 in cell lines and in primary mouse cells. This is a mouse system. Conversely, GF1B deficient cell lines exhibit increased uncontrolled RAG expression, several double-stranded breaks, and recombination events, ultimately leading to cell cycle defect and uh, embryonic lethals in some cell lines. Now, in primary cells, transcription of the GFL1B inversely correlates, as one would guess, with RAG transcription. And simultaneous inactivation of the GFL1 and GFL1B, those are two different subunits for this uh, factor, leads to an increase in RAG transcription very early in B cell development. In addition to these uh, associations, 
the deletion of GFL1 and GFL1B in vivo results in a severe block in B cell development, which of course makes sense. So the GFL1B orchestrates RAG repression, probably via this dual mechanism. There's a direct binding of GFL1B to a site 5 prime of the B cell specific ERAG enhancer. And that results in an epigenetic change. Once again, you see this arises in the RAG locus. Whereas an indirect inhibition is achieved through a simple repression of the transcriptional activator FOXO1, which we've talked about before. Okay, so you have two possible uh, modes of repression of the RAG. Now, A20 is another gene we can talk about. It's a key negative regulator of the canonical nuclear factor kappa B, or NF kappa B. And because it's a negative regulator, it negatively regulates the NF kappa B signaling, which of course mediates its effects via ubiquitin modification of proteins, thereby regulating the pro-inflammatory response induced downstream of NF kappa B uh, activation, acting then ultimately as a transcription factor, right? So mice fully deficient in A20 die early due to multiple organ inflammation, hyperinflammatory response, and severe weight loss is accompanying this. It's partly due to the inability to regulate TNF-alpha induced NF-kappa B signaling. Because remember, TNF-alpha is proximal to NF-kappa B signaling. Uh, TNF-alpha, of course, pro-inflammatory cytokine. Therefore, so that they could understand it better, the role of A20 in inflammation, cell type-specific deletion of the molecule was performed. Indeed, some aspects of human diseases associated with mutations in the TNF-alpha uh, inositol trisphosphate pathway are actually phenocopied by an A20 deletion. This is really interesting, right? So the role of A20 in peripheral immune cells has been thoroughly investigated subsequently, but less is known about its role in the central nervous system. So immune system, we know quite a bit. Interestingly, among all CNS resident cells, indeed, as you might guess, microglia express very high levels of A20 as composed as compared to say neurons or to other glial cells. Microglia, of course, are the resident immune cells of the CNS. They can act basically like resident macrophages and antigen-presenting cells. And under normal conditions, they're highly ramified uh, structurally. And their processes are constantly moving and monitoring the surroundings. So that ramification allows for a higher surface area, as you might guess, because they're acting, again, as macrophages. Uh, and also as surveillance cells, which is common uh, for macrophages. So microglia are perfectly poised to rapidly respond to changes in homeostasis, of course, of any alteration in gene expression in the CNS, particularly in the neurons or in adjacent microglia, or in uh, microglia working then directly to recognize failure in gene expression 
within the cell, intracellularly. So in addition, they play crucial roles in synapse formation. This is microglia And I've mentioned this much as before, but microglia also involved in the pruning mechanism, which ultimately promotes protomyelination and remyelination of certain axons. And microglia also regulate neuronal activity through that process and other processes, including secretion of uh, growth factors. <clears throat> so considering the importance of microglia in the normal functioning, the CNS, this, these people in this uh, publication were interested in determining the role of A20, of course, in microglia. This is where we've gotten to. So to investigate the role of A20 in microglia, they crossed a tamoxifen-inducible CX3 CR1 Cree ERT2 plus mouse into an A20 floxed mouse. So because of the induction then of the Cree recombinase, because you have the, the A20 floxed, you can regulate the expression then of the A20, right? And via that cross. Uh, and this all behind a promoter, which is basically a, a chemokine promoter. So the system allows, if you follow along that structure that was that's used, that, that construct, the system allows microglial-specific deletion of that target gene because uh, the other myeloid cells are replaced. Okay, so only the microglia. And that's how uh, you're able to carry out these rather sophisticated, selective experiments. So upon deletion of the A20 in microglia, turning on the Cree recombinase because of the flux A20 uh, within that microglial setting, the researchers found that it was a rapid induction of neuroinflammation. And that was characterized by now this is this becomes very important to the aging story we, we're talking. Infiltration of CD8 positive T cells and the upregulation of pro-inflammatory cytokines by the microglia. All of this occurring in the A20 deficient mice. We call these A20 delta. Right? Both A20 deficient microglia and the infiltrating CD8-positive T cells acquire a gene expression signature, and they upregulate genes involved in responding to viral infections. Furthermore, microglial numbers were increased in all regions of the brain associated with alterations in morphology toward decreased complexity in surface area. So this deletion in A20 in microglia affected cortical neurons. Pyramidal neurons displayed altered AMP-A receptor-mediated spontaneous excitatory current associated with a decrease in the density of paravalbumin or PV-positive inhibitory interneurons and indeed an increase in the number of excitatory presynaptic terminals in the cortex, the prefrontal cortex. So all these changes in microglial number and morphology were, of course, not observed in the A20 delta MG. Those are the ones where the A20 was floxed out on the RAG1 minus background, which do not have, of course, either B or T cells. So this was 
clearly not a lymphocytic phenomenon. Okay. They, they um, bracketed that off by working in a RAG minus background. Because remember, if you have a RAG double knockout, you have no B or T cell differentiation because you don't have the RAG recombinase. Now, importantly, what they found was that increased numbers of excitatory terminals were not observed in the absence of a functional RAG enzyme. Hmm. So finally, what they are pointing at is that microglial A20 is a global gatekeeper of central nervous system functional homeostasis. And any deletion of A20 in microglia would imitate a scenario seen following CNS, for example, viral massive infection, which of course would induce this hyperimmune response and a lot of neurodegeneration. So that's really interesting because this is feeding into our story about how the RAG recombinases are ultimately highly regulated. There is a obvious interaction between T lymphocytes, both CD8 and CD4 positive, that make it into resident CNS in conjunction with microglial alterations, leading to neuronal and adjacent microglial cell modifications that erupt into a hyperimmune neurodegenerative response. When again, you do these knockouts and these crosses. That suggests, again, the pivotal uh, discussion that I've been providing for the last couple of lectures, trying to find molecular systems that may be the master regulators of dysfunction in the central nervous system, leading to diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and prefrontal dementia in the elderly. So I'm looking for these molecular targets, and I'm going into the literature going way back, as you recall, 2003, by following the thread, the Ariadne thread of the RAG recombinases. Because remember, the reason I started looking at RAG recombinase is I realized that if we're going to know that the immune system interacts with the regulation of the central nervous system, we have to find a common denominator. Right? And the common denominator could simply be the secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines, um, perhaps an inappropriate gene expression repertoire in microglia, uh, starting to deal a neurodegenerative blow to adjacent neurons. But what was missing in this more or less profile, even looking at, say, tau protein and A-beta protein, inducing that inflammatory response in the CNS in humans was the molecular switch that would needed to be um, apprehended between the immune system, including the, t the invading T lymphocytes as one ages, the microglia, both of those are part of the immune system, and then, of course, the all-important neuronal system, including synaptic uh, exponential generation. And I think we found it now by going into the literature and finding these associations. And this is all backed up by epigenomic alterations. Remember the trimethylation patterns. Remember the program death discussion. 
Remember the lupus discussion, right? Which is an autoimmune disease. So again, we're formulating now this much larger story about what in the central nervous system is shared with the immune system, particularly uh, microglial, which is an innate immune system, but also antigen presenting and therefore triggering T lymphocyte and B lymphocyte. And then the infiltrating T and B lymphocytes, which increase um, moving through the blood-brain barrier as the aging process increases or during ischemia or any kind of central nervous system damage, which then ultimately can lead to an aging phenotype. See, this is where we're going with this. An aging phenotype doesn't necessarily mean that it's associated with aging. It simply means that the same kinds of um, neurodegenerative and potentially oncogenic events that happen in the central nervous system can be induced by a particular suite of mutations and epigenomic alterations around a central locus, which is shared in all of these cellular systems. And the locus we're now landing on is the RAG locus, right? That's, again, that's like a recap where we are right now. Now, RAG proteins not only carry out non-homologous, you know, end-joining recombination, but they do a lot of other things. And we've talked about this. They also can control and regulate methylation patterns on histone lysines, right? That trimethylation um, signature. But they also ubiquitinate or ubiquitinolate histones. And that induces de novo chromatin remodeling, which is an epigenetic phenomenon because of this ubiquitinolation. So these two global molecular activities seem essential for the, the idea that uh, copy number variation can be, I mean, this is where I got started this, copy number variation by studying the autism literature, how you can now find, you can gain an understanding of where you can get copy number variation in developing central nervous system. And that's, that's a, again, bringing forward how I started doing the research in this area. Now, Let's go back to, again, an old paper published in Clinical Diagnostic Lab uh, Immunology, Laboratory Immunology. Again, this is way back in 2003. Uh, and uh, the paper tells us the following. Recombinase activating gene one, RAG1 function, is essential for, as we know, VDJ recombination in the T cell and immunoglobulin rearrangements. And we know that this is uh, allows for then the memorization of a tremendous amount of potential antigens that would be presented. Therefore, the acquired immune system functions with this pleiotropic plenum of regulatory mechanisms dealing with any particular antigen that may be formulated, including um, autoantigens that fail to be processed correctly. Right. And of course, all the alloantigens that one can pick up on from a pathogen invasion or from alterations in gene expression and splicing and mutations of gene products. Right. Okay. So the RAG1 gene is also localized in neurons. And this is published again way back in 2003. In fact, it's found in the hippocampus. And it's also related, it's also found in related limbic regions, such as the amygdala. You find the RAG gene expressed in these nuclei in the central nervous system. 
And it seems that uh, doing mouse work uh, and knockouts, that the RAG1 gene anyway is involved in spatial learning and memory, as well as in other parameters of neurobehavioral performance in the mice. Compared to control mice, in fact, RAG1 knockout mice exhibited increased locomotor activity in an open field under both dim and bright lighting and a decreased habituation or a reduction in the expected decline in locomotor activity with an increasing familiarity with the novel environment. This is a typical test, and it's done in bright lighting. So RAG1 knockout mice showed a reduced level of fearfulness. That's basically the output here for some measures of fear-motivated behavior in both the open field behavior test and an elevated plus maze test. These are uh, mouse tests to, te to determine whether or not the mouse behavior is altered by genetic lesions in the central nervous system. This happens to be a RAG1 knockout. So we were doing this work, I mean, not myself, but we were doing knockout experiments around in the early 2000s, many researchers were. This is one of them. So it remains to be determined if the changes that were discovered here were due to the loss of the RAG1 gene expression in the, in the central nervous system, um, are actually due to the absence of the gene in the immune system, that would be then the loss of growth factors, cytokines, chemokines, neuromodulators, or is it due to some combination of both that effect and the effect on the neuronal expression? So back in 2003, they wanted to know whether or not this RAG1 in the brain, in the neurons, and particularly in the hippocampal uh, region, might provide insights into important processes involved in normal brain function and disease. Now, we know from the papers we've discussed subsequent to this publication that indeed there is a very important reason to study the RAG recombinase. Now, back way down 2003, this was only speculation on the part of these researchers. So remember, microglia of the central nervous system serve as resident immune macrophages within the brain. And it's where peripheral immunity, at least in the early stages, is blocked by the blood-brain barrier. But we know that T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes can make it through. In fact, other immune cells do as well. And this can be induced by ischemia, but it can also be induced by changes in signaling phenomena, such as the IP3 pathway, or in stress-associated phenomena linked to the IP3, calcium mobilization, and corruptions in the polarity of membrane, right? Can allow for T lymphocyte migration. We know this. This doesn't just happen in the later stages of life, although that is increased because the blood-brain barrier becomes more and more porous as we age. This has been well known. So it's known also the early development of the brain. It's likely that microglia are, are absolutely essential for neuronal and glial migration and ultimately their differentiation and the synaphogenesis that's associated with that. In fact, the transcriptome microglia can be activated by membrane degradation products. For example, chondroitin sulfate proteoglycan disaccharide can induce microglial activation, as can extracellular antigens, and this has been done in the mouse model, such as LPS, lipopolysaccharide. It's been known for a long time. Microglia, of course, we know, secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines, and this can actually damage adjacent and associated neurons. 
and that can lead to neurodegeneration. Now, it wasn't clear for a long time whether or not the recombination system, the RAG complex, was functional microglia or neurons, but subsequent to that, we have certainly determined that the RAG complex is functional. So once again, this gives us an association between the immune response recombination in the acquired immune system, as well as recombination events and other subsequent covalent modifications that are induced by the RAG or directly composed by RAG activity. Okay. And uh, one final thing we're going to end today. RAG1 deficient mice has been known for a long time are less prone to myelin degeneration. This is very interesting. So it seems to be there's a relationship between the MHC class 1 microglial presentation and activation of circulating CD8 positive lymphocytes. And this, is, of course, is going to link up with myelin. And we talked about the sphingomyelin pathway, production of ceramide, and then the resynthesis of phosphatidylcholine. And then, the, then after phospholipase C zeta activity, the uh, production of diacylglycerol and the activation then of protein kinase C zeta, leading to an inflammatory response. Thus, it shows how RAG deficiency can lead to myelin degeneration and inflammation. So we already covered that uh, in an earlier lecture. So let's stop here because we're out of time. This is, again, Dr. Dan Guerra from the Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 27th of April saying, of course, bye for now. <laughs>